in a divided, splintered and polarized uh, world, finding the common ground um, on which we stand is, is probably the key thought uh, for establishing purpose that everyone can see. episode of Communicating Purpose. I'm John Higginson and I believe that the best way to get a message across clearly is by talking about something you really believe in. I call this the power of purpose. This week I'm joined by Jack Lundy, Director of Campaigns and Engagement at WWF. WWF is the world's leading conservation organisation. Its aim is to create a world where people and wildlife can thrive together by campaigning for more sustainable lifestyles to protect our environment and the wildlife that lives in it. WWF run a number of campaigns directed at protecting wildlife, as well as amplifying people's voices to make the case for nature. All of us who care about the environment can at times feel it's a bit too daunting. I particularly struggle with this feeling. But recently, WWF announced actions we can all take to help protect our world. Alongside the National Trust and RSPB, it operates the People's Plan for Nature to help people share what nature means to them and articulate their vision for the future. Before joining WWF, Jack worked for the Greater London Authority, Save the Children and Oxfam, among others. Before embarking on a career in communications, Jack worked as a producer at the BBC. Jack, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, Not at all. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet you, John. So what's been your biggest challenge so far at WWF and how have you navigated it? Uh, it's a big, it's a big question, isn't it? Um, there, there are a few challenges or opportunities, as we like to describe them. Um, it's, it's a serious mission, and of course, the most obvious challenge is the is the current state of the natural world and our climate, which are, um, as you said, uh, existential threats of of massive and slightly terrifying proportions. So, um, and of course, we don't have much time. Uh, so it, it's it, they're huge huge issues. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, and we, we need to make big systemic change happen very quickly. So um, and and although this is obviously an existential threat, there are other things that people are concerned about. Of course, um, as the state of the world, you know, uh, and the news agenda testifies all too too loudly. So as a campaigner, and uh, my responsibility, I guess, is un- unlocking people power through things like uh, nature assemblies, etc., uh, to drive change. Um, and, and then there are some, th- there are challenges, uh, as I'm sure, you know, uh, the listeners will be f- familiar with in terms of people's communication uh, habits and, and trends, attention scarcity, the abundance of information and misinformation, uh, saturation of the marketplaces, competing causes, um, traditional assumptions or attitudes uh, that we have to, to, to change. Um, uh, without terrifying people, as, as you said, you, you know, you, you being a, a classic example, is that when you're presented by uh, ch- challenges as big as climate and, and the, the collapse of nature, it's hard to know what you can do. Um, and so that's that's another challenge, uh, is finding uh, ways for people to drive change. And I guess the other, the last thing I would say is that that there's a big challenge in knowing how to drive change. So uh, for campaigners, traditionally, 
you're probably familiar that very often campaigns focus on a piece of legislation or a policy-based answer. Um, lo lots of um, good policy and good commitments, for instance, on climate change that you hear at COP, uh, COP26 and 27, uh, the, the words are all there. It's actually about delivery. And, and so um, the, the challenge for campaigners in the communication space is accountability and making it harder for promises to be broken. So that's that, that's a challenge. Um, and looking for other ways of challenge, like, as I said, assemblies to deliver change at community, local or regional level, uh, are of increasing interest to, to organisations like ours trying to drive change. Yeah, well, WWF is such a huge organisation that, that, that it, I mean, I feel like I've known about WWF all my life and all its work, and, and I'm sure uh, most, most li listeners have. Which WWF campaign has most inspired you over the years? Um, well, WWF's campaigning, when it's about like in-country, in, -country, in uh, regions of the DRC, like Virunga, where there's uh, corporate misbehaviour is threatening species, um, are brilliant. And they're a way of harnessing people's love for animals, which is profound and almost universal, I think. Um, there have been great campaigns that deliver that kind of uh, change. It's, it's kind of a symptomatic thing. I think... Um, what I'm really excited about at the moment is, as, as you've already alluded, this that the uh, nature assemblies that we're convening are in a build-up to a UK nature campaign that we're uh, unveiling in March. And so I'm, I'm, I've been at the WDF uh, two years now, and we've got this in partnership with the National Trust and the RSPB coming down the track. And so I'm, I'm hugely excited ab about that. Um, but I think, you know, historically, I think where uh, WDF has made stands for species, um, what we call charismatic megafauna, uh, the big animals that we all uh, love passionately, uh, it, it's got a great track record. The, the challenges are different now. Um, so the, the state of UK nature being um, extremely uh, perilous right now. Uh, we need to we need to drive systemic change, and it's not um, like a, a what you might call a discrete intervention that's required. It's actually us rethinking our relationship with the natural world and and having a more um, reciprocal, uh, positive relationship with with the, the planet that we're lucky enough to call home. Yeah. And actually, I think I think WWF is quite good at dealing with that overwhelm that 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 any of us that care about the environment sometimes feel. Because when you look at the news and you think, "Oh my God, we're not doing nearly enough to to um, avert the problem that's 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 coming down the line," um, and the problem with people feeling overwhelmed is they end up moving to doing nothing whatsoever, and so that's yeah. the kind of worst state and. Uh, People that, that, that follow me on LinkedIn should see that I will try to look for those positive news stories so that I can share those as well. Uh, and and I'll, I'll admit I am a WWF donor and I, um, and I get the WWF newsletter. And I like those, you know, stories of some camera trap that's been set up that has found a new species of, of, of wildcat that hasn't been seen before and really shows that, you know, for one, there's so much biodiversity out there, so much of the world that we haven't even discovered and species, quite quite large species that, that, that no one's even recorded before. Mm. Um, but also by, by concentrating, as you say, on individual megafauna, and I know there's been some criticism 
of that over the years in, in, in just looking at save the whale or save the panda or save these other things at the expense of, you know, for instance, some of the smaller, less glamorous uh, 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 flora and fauna that's out there. Um, but I think one of the benefits of it is it helps people to be able to think, great, I am solving this small small bit of this large problem and it and it helps with that feeling of overwhelm i think that's exactly right it under it well I, I i do agree so i think the strength of it is that it it just reminds you that nature's actually extremely powerful uh, and and if we just if we can create the conditions for its recovery it will do a lot of the work for us but we have got to stop harming it so so um what what those stories whether or not it's you know river dolphins that we, we see their population uh coming back it it, it just reminds it, it i guess it underpins the whole experience with a belief that recovery is possible because i think that's that's difficult and that's challenging and it undermines people's engagement as you said it can be a little um paralyzing for people that they they just don't uh they just don't believe change is possible yeah and we need those good good news stories at the moment definitely especially in a especially in uh, january um what's been your hardest day in at, at, at the office um there there have been oh there've been there've been a few as as you said i i was lucky enough to be director of communications at, at oxfam and there were certainly a couple of issues which felt um extremely uh, challenging i I'd left Oxfam before the um, the Haiti story broke. That that broke after I moved to Save the Children International. Um, but while I was director of comms at Oxfam, we we were um, uh, challenged by our um, regulator in terms of um, some some tweets that we put out that uh, it was felt were too closely aligned to party political communications. Um, so and and that was challenging when we felt of course as is always the case with organizations you know we we, we know that we're we're trying to do a good thing um and so when when we challenge the idea of uh, uh poverty in the uk we know that's going to be difficult for some people to hear um but uh and and it can feel like occasionally frameworks are used in order to undermine your credibility um uh, and that and that hurts because as you said you know when you work at purpose you bring a very profound emotional connection to that. And so um, you, it's hard not to take it personally when it feels like people are obstructing you when you're trying to do a good thing for people le leading really tough lives, um, wherever that is. You know, and I've been lucky enough to work for, you know, on Blue Peter Appeals or for Comic Relief on Red Nose Day, um, Oxfam, uh, as I've said, and Save the Children, taking a stand for, ch you know, taking a a stand for children caught up in in conflict um and when you present the world with an uncomfortable truth it, you can be pulled up in a way that makes you feel um emotionally upset i guess so and that leads to a tough day at the office but it's always worth I'll, doing i'll just let our listeners know what that is because it is a a, a a story that they can find out on on by, by googling it anyway uh so this was a tweet that was sent in um 2014, is that right? In which uh, Oxfam blamed uh, benef benefit cut cuts on on uh, poverty and said that the auster austerity agenda was in in part in part to blame. Is that right? And the and the charity commission then 
that came down on Oxfam so that those should not have been sent because they criticise the current government. Exactly that. And, and um, you know, ultimately, uh, as, as I recall, there, were, there was a, quite a long list of charges and we were simply found lacking uh, on one count of possibly allowing the misperception uh, of a tweet as being politically aligned. Um, you know, change, ch ch challenging, you know, poverty exists because of political choices that have been made. So you have to challenge political thinking sometimes. It's not about aligning yourself to any one political party, but if you want to tackle the causes of poverty uh, and inequality, you, you occasionally have to go, you know, sail close to the wind. Um, and we use this creative idea of a perfect storm, which I think had also been used uh, by a political party. And, and therefore, it was felt that it was too resonant of someone else's communication that would have crossed the line. So I, that was, uh, had, had the Labour Party used that? or, or I think so. Right, okay. And so, look, I, I think that's... Um, that that's a challenge all all people in in communications face actually especially on social media in that you want to communicate in a way that is human and interesting and has an opinion and and you can only be human and interesting if you if you express an, an opinion on a on a on a corporate 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 account otherwise why would anyone follow you you know if you're just saying this is what we've done here's our numbers here's our growth look how great we are who is going to follow you? So, so you've got that challenge that you are not going to build up followers if you all you're doing is out there blowing your own trumpet about how great you are. Um, but at the same time, uh, you're 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 trying to create that humanness without. But but in in the case of Ox, Oxfam, you've got you've got donors and 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 uh, donors of all political stripes, I'm sure, and you're also under those uh, extra burden of regulation that you face. Uh, in in part, is that because you you get some government funding, or or, or or Oxfam would have got some government funding, so that would have. Well, th well, there are two stakeholders. Actually, all charities are governed by the Charity Commission, regardless of where their funding comes from. Uh, but we also uh, were in receipt um, of uh, grants from uh, what was DFID, is now the FCDO. Um, and that was material in the, in the Haiti case, but n nothing to do with uh, the, the case that I've I've spoken about. I, I mean, the other I guess the other challenge for charities was, um, and and we were we had an under, undercover investigation uh, by the by the the Mail on Sunday, which was quite painful for us when um, when there was a big moment I think for charities uh, fundraising in the UK generally. Uh, uh, related to the very tragic uh, suicide of, of, of a lady in Bristol. Uh, Olive Cook, I think her, her name was. Um, and th there was a story that she had felt too, too pestered by charities. Um, and I think it was an important moment for charities to reflect on how aggressively we were fundraising, uh, but we got taken to task and felt that we got some rather um, unfair coverage in the press. But I think it it was uh, actually a, a welcome moment, a hiatus for us to reflect on being maybe a little bit more respectful. And uh, what ensued was a revision or the introduction of new new fundraising regulation. 
but that was difficult because Oxfam being a flagship brand, uh, you're the one <laughs> that they go after um, and you have to be beyond reproach. Um, not that you shouldn't be completely ethical at all times uh, in any case. Um, looking at all the different types of media out there, traditional media, newspapers, radio, TV, social media, or even events and, 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 and meeting people one-on-one. What do you think, what have you found over the years has been the most effective kind of media tool for getting a message across? Um, it's an interesting one. I, I, I think uh, cr- create creativity, actually. Um, you know, the, the tools, there's obviously a, a, a proliferation of different channels through which you can reach people. Um, uh, face-to-face and experiential stuff, um, it depends on the nature of your ask. You know, we were lucky enough to work with Glastonbury when I was at Oxfam. Lots of charities do face-to-face in the street fundraising, which is uh, very polarizing, I think, to say the least. Um, so, uh, but face-to-face experiences in Oxfam shops or Save the Children shops. Um, WWF does um, lots of supporter engagement, particularly with young people. Um, that's that's obviously for those people who support you. That that's a really good way to connect but I you know we're, we're mostly in mass communications so understanding how channels work uh, delivering um, I think visual and emotional relevant content that w- is optimized for any channel or device on which it's served up is is key and there are innumerable tools to, to get that right I think the other well, the other great tool of course for communications professionals is data and the processing of uh, data, tracking the um, engagement uh, data or the effectiveness of your uh, communications uh, in real time so that you can course correct, uh, uh, understand what trends and insights about your audiences uh, will help you improve your engagement going forward. Um, so, so generally, you know, the data that sits behind digital communications is, is hugely valuable. Great, thank you. Uh, so, so tell us a bit about building up a campaign. So, being a director of campaigns, how does that work? Just, just to take us behind the scenes a bit in terms of at WWF, what do you do to say, okay, we're actually going to do a plastics campaign, or we're going to do a biodiversity campaign, or, or you know, tell us what goes into it and, and, and how that process works. Sure. So, so, so the process is. Um, it has to stem originally from organizational strategy based on um, an understanding of what the world needs um, in, in through the lens of our mission in you know as you said at the top of the show um, you know fighting for a world in which uh, nature and, and people thrive together um, we have strategic analysis of the world we look for where we can add the most value as our operation dictates um, and so and and we we particularly have three areas that um, are around change, you know, responding to the climate emergency, uh, responding to the loss of nature, uh, and also looking at the way uh, we can change our food system. So it starts from analysis, but at the same time, you have to start at your audience. So, and I know that sounds contradictory. How do you start at two places? Uh, simultaneously but unless you understand where your supporters your constituencies or the people who can make most difference unless you understand where they are you will end up just talking to yourself in in, in a bubble Uh, and in our case it will be presenting science only to people who who understand and are interested in the science whereas everyone cares about the natural world so you have to understand 
what what are the insights the audience insights that you have uh, what what do people expect from you what are they prepared to come to you to hear what are your trust levels like all of those kind of things and you you kind of you bring those together and understand what's the role for the public in achieving the strategic objectives defined by your mission everyone listening to this podcast is a is a comms professional in in somewhere or other and they all love consuming media Tell us about some of your favourite podcasts, radio shows, newspapers, um, articles, magazines. What do you? Where do you get your uh, news from and, and entertainment? I am well. I'm going to be very predictable on this one. So. Um... Uh, the rest is politics is my podcast of choice at the moment like everyone in the metropolitan liberal elite um i absolutely love that podcast I, you know, news agency is great as well i i particularly enjoy discursive news i suppose in terms of information i still go to the bbc first but i then triangulate uh, with opinion from across the spectrum from guardian to mail that, that helps me get a, an interesting picture of the world and what people feel about it um entertainment I, I guess, like lots of consumers, I'm shifting more and more to to uh, in demand. I still like uh, uh, film and art, um, and I'll watch the entertainment uh, in probably scheduled entertainment, whether or not that's um, uh, dramas. Like uh, I'm enjoying the um, uh, his dark materials um, uh, on on BBC. Uh, I can't remember what they're calling that. Um, you know, Lyra. Uh, oh God, when when you when you lose a name, it's awful, isn't it? Um, uh, but I, I I'm a big sports fan, so I watch. That's one of the things I one of the few things I watch in real time, so not on demand, because obviously you want to see that live if you if you can. Um, I I read a bit. I I'm a big art fan. I uh, so uh, Instagram's great for visual stuff. So those are the you know Instagram art on Instagram definitely using you know I'm a Twitter more a reader than a poster i think um and those podcast titles I, I i think podcasts are just great aren't they so if there's one last message uh, uh one last question what what would be one message for someone who is wanting to get into purpose-led communications what would you say to them um well i so for me i think the one the one thought right now in this context is find the common ground. Um, in the case of our cause, we're standing right on it. It's called the planet. But I, but I think in a, in a divided, splintered and polarized uh, world, finding the common ground um, on which we stand is, is probably the key thought uh, for establishing purpose that everyone can support. Great. Or sit, on our, in our case, anyway. Of course. Jack Lundy, Director of Campaigns and Engagement at WWF. Thank you very much for joining me, John Higginson, on Communicating Purpose. You're so welcome.